Well, good morning, Westridge. How are we? Good, good, good. It's good to be back with you guys. Looking forward to this morning. So uh, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles out, turn them open to Judges 14, if you will, Judges 14. Uh, and as you're flipping there, um, and I know you've already heard this once this morning, but last week we started a brand new series called Stupid Human Tricks. And over the course of this series, here's what we're doing. We're, we're taking the life of a guy named Samson, and we're using his life as a case study, and we're talking about several different ways that you and I can go about wrecking our lives. Now, in the welcome video, we told you this already, but I'm going to say it again just in case. Um, th- this message, we are going to talk about um, some things that if you have a young kid, you might not want to leave this afternoon and get asked the question, what is this, what is that? Um, if you're okay with your kid being in here, that's up to you, um, but I'm just telling you we're going to be honest and real this morning. So if you want to take your kid to, uh, to our, our children's ministry, now would be the time to do that. All right. So the topic again for the morning, we've already heard it. It's keeping a secret life, keeping a secret life. One of the quickest ways to wreck your life is by keeping a secret life. Now, over my years of being in ministry, I've been in ministry 10 years now. I have seen this played out time and time and time and time again. Um, I've had instances where I've sat across the table from friends or students or, or adults in my church, and we've had conversations about things that are going on in their lives, and they've started to kind of confess and talk about how for years they've had a secret pornography addiction that they've never told anybody about, but it's wrecking their lives, it's wrecking their friendships, it's wrecking their marriage, and they have no idea how to overcome it, but it's destroying them. Um, I've sat across the table from people who have gone on to tell me that behind closed doors, they struggle with substances, right? They've never told anybody, never confessed it, but they medicate, um, they solve their problems by turning to a bottle, and they get to the end of their rope, and they want to sit down and chat and talk about how what they're doing behind closed doors and what they're doing in secret is destroying them. I've sat with families who have lost children to suicide, because of things going on in the home and going on in the relationship between mom and dad and kid that never wanted to be confronted, never wanted to be talked about. And so now this kid has taken their own lives and mom and dad are at a loss for what to do. Um, and this will be real for you. I've had some of my closest friends in the world who have been pastors and served in ministry live secret lives behind closed doors only to be found out and to lose absolutely everything, including family, ministry, possessions, you name it. Listen to me, church. This morning, I need you to know that if you are pursuing a secret life of sin, it will eventually find you out and it will wreck your life. In Judges 14, when we look at our friend Samson, this is exactly what we see happening. And and before we start reading these verses together, I want to remind you of a couple of things that we learned about Samson last week. All right, The first thing was this. We talked about how Samson was a judge, or he was a deliverer for Israel. God had decided before Samson was ever born that he was going to use Samson to deliver the Israelite people from the Philistines. They were being ruled and oppressed by uh, a group of people called the Philistines who uh, didn't know the Lord, and so God was going to free him, and he was going to use Samson to do that. We also learned last week that Samson was a Nazarite. Now, all this means is this, is that Samson was making a vow, he made a vow to God to be set apart to carry out a specific purpose. And so Samson had some things that he was going to commit to God. These were outward expressions of his vow to be set apart, and there were some things that he vowed not to do. 
three things specifically, and they were this. Uh, one was he was going to stay away from alcohol. He wouldn't drink. Um, the next thing is he would not touch anything dead. That's kind of weird, but that was part of it. Won't touch anything dead. And the last one was this was a guy who wasn't going to cut his hair. Like his whole life, he vowed to God, I will not cut my hair. That's a lot of hair, especially for a guy. And, uh, you know, we just pray that maybe sometime it falls out in his case. But uh, he was not going to cut his hair. Now, if you pay attention to the story, and we talked about this last week, Samson starts walking down a path and walking down a road of disobedience, sin, and secrecy that over the next several weeks you're going to see destroys his life. And this morning we're going to kind of jump into some of this and start talking about it. So remember all I just kept or, or all I just told you, keep that in mind as we read these verses and we're going to start reading Judges 14 verse 1. All right, so follow along with me. Here's what it says. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah, now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your own relatives or among all our people that you must take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines, as I told you, ruled over Israel. Now, I want to stop here for just a minute, and I want to address all the parents sitting in the room. How many of you guys in the room this morning are parents? Okay, that's a lot of you. Um, I'm a brand new parent myself, got a two-month-old baby at home. So what I'm about to say to you, I'm not preaching at you. I'm talking to all of us, me included. Okay, here's what I want you to know if you're a parent sitting in the room this morning. I want you to know that you can be, as a parent, a contributing factor to your kid's life being wrecked by secrets and being wrecked by secret sin. I want you to know that this morning, and, I, and I'll explain what I mean using Samson. In this passage, we see Samson walking up to his mom and dad and going, hey, I was down at Timnah. There was this fine Philistine girl down there. I want you to go get her for me. I want that girl to be my wife. Now, what happened next should have never happened, right? Mom and dad start to have a discussion with Samson about this. Well, let's talk about this. The reason they should have never talked about it was simple. God gave his people a very specific command all the way back, and, and you can look it up later, in Exodus 34 in Deuteronomy 7, and here's what he told him. He said, as my people, you are to stay away and not to marry foreign people who worship false gods. Guess what the Philistines did? Both of them. They were foreign people. They worshiped false gods. God says, don't do that. Things could go bad. You could forget to worship me. So don't do that. So what should have happened in this case is Samson should have walked up and said, there was this fine girl. I wanted to be my wife. You guys go get her. And mom and dad should have said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Are you, have you forgotten what the Lord told us? Like, that's not even a question. We're not going there. We're not getting her for you. We're not pursuing that. Let's talk about something else, right? But that didn't happen. Now, in verse 4, it's kind of weird because it almost sounds like God plants this seed of disobedience in Samson's life and in his mind and in his heart so that he can overcome the Philistines. But if you really dig into that verse, here's all it means. It means that God was going to choose to use Samson even in spite of his blatant disobedience. Now, parents, here's why I bring this up. Um, I've served in student ministry for the last 10 years 
and gotten the chance to work with and speak to thousands of kids, one of the most frustrating things for me working with students has been this, is sitting back and watching parents enable their kids to disobey the Lord. It's been so frustrating. Instead of parents being parents to their kids, leading their kids toward Jesus, I've seen more and more and more parents trying to be friends to their kids before being parents or, or trying to be cool. And what it's resulting is, it, or what it's resulting in is a lot of kids' lives being wrecked by secrets and being wrecked by secret sins. I'll give you a couple of examples that I've dealt with just in the past couple of years. Um, a couple of years ago, I had a family at Westridge come to me and uh, say, James, we want you to meet with our 15-year-old son. He's really struggling, really struggling with alcohol. Um, he drinks all the time. We've tried to do everything we can do. We've talked to him about it, and we can't get him to stop. So I said, all right, bring him in, man. I'll, I'll chat with the kid. And we had about a two-hour conversation. In the middle of the conversation, here's what I find out from this high schooler. He proceeds to tell me that his mom and dad have a liquor cabinet in their basement and that's where he gets his supply from. So mom and dad want to bring their son to me to talk to him about alcoholism while they have a liquor cabinet in the basement they refuse to get rid of, and their son's struggling. I'm frustrated. I'm like, be a parent, right? You are enabling your kid to pursue a life that's going to destroy him and wreck him. It's your job to, to protect your kid from that. Forget about yourself. Be a parent. I'll give you another, uh, another example, and I've dealt with this over all my years of ministry, but um, I, I've sat down in the past few years with a kid who's been struggling with pornography addiction because parents go, hey, my kid's struggling. Can you talk to him about what he's looking at and the things that he's doing? So come in. Yeah, let's chat. Why are you struggling, bro? How did this start? And here's a couple of conversations I've had. One, I sat down with a teenage kid. Tell me where pornography started for you. Well, I found my dad's stash. I found dad's stash of pornography, and I figured if he's looking at it, I should be able to look at it, and now I can't stop looking at it. And mom and dad called the youth pastor in to clean up the mess that dad has created in the home because he's got a stash he won't get rid of, even though his son is struggling. Um, I've also had a case where uh, parents come in and their kid's struggling with pornography addiction, yet they bought the computer that's in the kid's room that he looked at the pornography on, and they refuse to take it out because they're worried the kid's going to get mad. Parents, listen to me. It doesn't matter if your kid's going to get mad at you. You take it away. It's your job to be a parent to your kid. You cannot enable your kid to pursue a life that in the end will eventually destroy them. As parents, it is our job to lead our kids more and more and more toward Jesus every chance we get. What this means for us as parents is this. It means that we have to be a parent first and a friend second. It means sometimes we have to say no. It means sometimes you have to take drastic measures with your kids that might leave them hating your guts for a little while. Listen, at my last church before I came to Westridge, I had a dad whose daughter struggled so badly with drinking. She was in high school that in the middle of the night, he woke her up, got her in the car, drove her to a boot camp, and left her there. You're talking about a teenage daughter hating her dad for a while. And she hated him until she finally realized that he had done for her exactly what she needed. Parents. For some of us, 
leading our kids in the right direction. It might mean going to counseling as a family. It might might mean moving some computers around in the house. It might mean getting rid of your alcohol. What you cannot do is enable your child's disobedience to God, and you cannot enable them to pursue a secret life that in the end is going to wreck their life. As parents, we have to set boundaries, we have to lead our kids toward Jesus, and we have to protect them from our enemy who the Bible calls a roaring lion and is looking for someone to devour. If you fail to lead your kids toward Jesus, they will be devoured. In the life of our friend Samson, this is exactly what we see happening. If you go back to Judges 14, we start to see him pursuing this life where he's breaking vows before God and it's going to devour him. Look back down at Judges 14, and we're going to read the next set of verses, 5 through 9. Follow along here with me. Here's what it says. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Now, I'll have to confess, this is pretty bad to the bone, right? Like all of us guys in here, we want to do this. Here's what the Bible said. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion into pieces... As one tears a young goat. Now, I don't even know anybody in the room that could tear a young goat into pieces with their bare hands. But a lion, like that is insane. I got to go to Africa um, a couple of years ago, and we went to this presidential zoo where I got to stand across a chain-link fence from a 600-pound male lion. Like, if that thing wanted to, he could have torn through the fence and eaten me. But I'm taking pictures beside him, scared to death. Yes, the Bible says Samson tears a lion in half. You wish you could do that. I know I do too. Um, It goes on, and and here's what it says. He didn't tell his mom or dad what he had done. And then he went down and he talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there were a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. And he scraped it out in his hands. He went on eating as he went, and he came to his mother and father and gave some to them, and they ate, but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. Now, if you remember what I told you at the beginning, part of his vow before God was, I will not touch anything dead. So not only does he tear the lion apart with his bare hands, but he goes back to the lion, who's dead, probably just wanting to check out what he had done, right? I killed a lion. I want to go see that. And when he gets there, there's food, there's honey. So he he digs his hands in and he starts eating. He breaks this vow to God. And not only does he break this vow to God, he keeps it secret. I'm not going to tell anybody what I've done. Now, the Bible goes on, and, and you can read this in verse 10 with me. The next thing it says is this, his father went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there. So the young man used to do here in verse 10, Samson breaks another one of his vows before God. If you study this passage in the Hebrew language, that word there for feast is mishta. Okay. And a mishta was a feast that especially included alcohol, right? So this was not like we're going to get together and watch the game and have uh, you know, a beer. This was a, we're getting together, we're playing beer pong, we're getting wasted kind of party, right? This is what Samson was doing. And so, again, you see him. His vow was, I stay away from it. He's doing the exact opposite here, and he breaks his vow to God, and, and he's pursuing this path. Now, I think this is where this message is going to start hitting home for some of us. Because in this passage, I think it becomes really clear as you pay attention why Samson fell so easily into disobedience and then secrecy. And if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write these down, okay? The first reason I believe that Samson fell so easily into secret sin and disobedience to God is this, is he put himself in the pathway of temptation. 
He put himself directly in the pathway of temptation. The guy kills a lion. He wants to go back to where the dead lion is, knowing he shouldn't be there in the first place. And when he gets there, he sees something appealing, and he digs his hand in, and he breaks his vow to God, and then he covers it up and keeps it secret. He, he throws a party where there shouldn't be any alcohol in the first place because he made this vow to God, this outward expression, God, I'm set apart for you. He does it anyway. He breaks his vow to the Lord. He is putting himself directly in the pathway of temptation. Listen to me, church. This is why some of us here in the room this morning are struggling with sin and we're struggling with secrecy. It's because there is something that every single one of us in the room struggles with. And some of us who are here, we keep putting ourselves directly in its path. Like instead of avoiding that thing we struggle with, killing that thing we're tempted by, a lot of us find ourselves every day waking up and walking directly by it. I'll give you another example of this. Um, In the beginning, Adam and Eve, you guys remember Adam and Eve, right? God gave him a command, one command, stay away from that one tree in the garden. Have you ever stopped to think why Adam and Eve went and hung out by that tree? There's one tree, stay away from that one. Have you ever thought about why Adam and Eve went and hung out by that one tree? I mean, it wasn't like the garden was tiny. It wasn't like they're sleeping here where the baptismal is and the tree's right there. It's a pole in the middle of the room. Like, ah, this is our lot in life, you know. We just got to stay away. It's right there. Now, listen, the garden could have been huge. Go back and read Genesis 2, and the Bible says that four rivers flowed out of the Garden of Eden, two of which we know today still as the Tigris and the Euphrates. Go Google that. The Garden of Eden could have been enormous. Yet we find Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 going and hanging out by the one tree God told them to stay away from. It's stupid, isn't it? It's dumb. Here's the reality, though. Every single one of us in the room have a tree that we have no business hanging around. Like some of us, our tree is pornography. Some of us, our tree is substance addiction. Some of us Our tree is lying, it's stealing. Some of us, our tree is an affair we're having right now or thinking about having soon. Here's my plea to you this morning, church. Get away from your tree. Quit hanging out by it. Quit walking by it. Quit putting yourself in its path. Get away from your tree. You have no business being there. Samson had no business walking by something that would tempt him, and neither do we. In the New Testament, Paul says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Church, this morning, I want you to hear this. One of the reasons Jesus died for your sins is so that you could kill your sins. Jesus did not die for your sins and then put his Holy Spirit inside of you if you know him so that you could continue to struggle and be ruled by your sin. He put his Spirit inside of you, saved you, paid for your sins so that you and I could kill our sins and quit hanging around the trees that we should never be hanging around in the first place. You gotta gotta leave it. You gotta get out of there. You can't keep putting yourself in the pathway of temptation. It will wreck your life. Another reason, second reason that I think Samson so easily slipped into a life of secret sin was this. This was a guy who had no godly friends around him. If you look back at that feast he threw with all the alcohol, um, guess who was there? 
the Philistines. All the foreign people worshiping false gods. None of his own people were around. Nobody who could hold him accountable, speak any truth into his life was in the picture at this point. Again, this is the reason some of us in the room are struggling right now with sin and with secrecy. It's because you have nobody in your life to call you out and to hold you accountable. Now, I think that's for a couple reasons. Some of us, we just haven't made an attempt to meet any of those people, right? We just haven't really tried. Like, you're here this morning on a Sunday morning, and it's awesome, but you haven't really taken any next steps to get in a journey group. You haven't taken any next steps to to serve in a ministry. You just haven't tried to really meet any godly people. Now, there's others of us, I think, in the room that if we were honest, this would be true of us. Some of us kind of keep those kind of people at arm's length because in all honesty, we don't want those kind of people in our business. We would rather kind of keep doing what we're doing and not have anybody get in our business. Here's what I want you to hear from me this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you need people in your business. You do. As the church, as the body of Christ, every single one of us needs other people in our business. As a Christ follower, you have to know you were not meant to pursue Jesus on your own. And one of the best things you can do for your relationship with Jesus is to have one or two godly friends who can hold you accountable and call you out when you make stupid decisions. It's needed for every single one of us. Samson didn't have this and it wrecked him. Some of you guys don't have this and it's wrecking you. Now, I'll throw out the big obvious question of the morning. Here it is. What do you do right now if you're stuck in disobedience and secrecy? What do you do if you're keeping a secret life? Here's the easy answer. You confess. You confess. You have to confess it. The first thing that you need to know is you need to confess it to the Lord. You need to go to God and you need to confess it to him. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess in the Greek language means to agree with. Some of us were stuck in this secret life simply because we refuse to agree with God about what our sin is. And here would be my challenge in motivation, or my challenge in, in uh, and uh, just go out here and do this. Read this book. See what God has to say about sin. And we need to agree with him on it. And here's why. Because he's God and we're not. And he's way smarter than us. And he knows what's going to wreck our life more than we do. Right? He loves us. And he wants you to agree with him about what sin is. That's where it has to start. A- another reason that I think some of us don't want to confess to God about what we're doing in secret, and I get this. I grew up in a very religious, very legalistic church where I was made to feel guilty about everything I did wrong. And what I would find myself doing is this. I would do something dumb, do something sinful, and I couldn't even bring myself to come to God and to confess it because I believed that God was mad at me. Like he's sitting up in heaven going, James is an idiot. Look what he did again. I can't believe this. What a moron. And so I felt like it was my job to kind of wrestle my sin to the ground and to manage it well and to do good, to overcome it on my own strength so that I could then go back to God and say, God, look how good I've been. Now, God, will you forgive me for that thing that I did way back there? Because I feel like you like me again because I've been really good the past couple weeks. Here's what I need you to know. That ain't what God wants from you. And that's not what God expects from you. 
If you're here this morning and you believe that our God is a God sitting up in the sky like waiting to zap you with lightning bolts every time you do something wrong or our God is a God sitting up like waiting for you to come tell him you've messed up so that he can point his finger in your face and tell you how stupid you've been, you've got a wrong picture of God. This book teaches me that my God is a God who loves me in spite of myself. And if I will come and confess and agree with God about my sin in my life, that my God is a God who is ready to forgive, ready to restore, ready to redeem, ready to make new again. That's the God that this book teaches about. And this morning, some of you, you need to come to a place where even in spite of how bad you feel, how sin-covered you are, that you come to God believing He loves you and He's ready to forgive. For some of you, that's where it's got to start. Confession to the Lord. Now, some of us also need to go and we need to confess to someone else. We need to confess to someone else about what's going on in our lives. James chapter 5, starting in verse 13, says this, Is there anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And listen to this. If he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Some of us in the room this morning, we need to go to a godly friend or mentor and we need to tell them what's going on in our lives secretly and we need to ask for help. Some of us this morning, you need to talk to one of the pastors at this church. And, and I just want to tell you about us, okay? Listen, we are a group of pastors who love you. We love you. And we want you to know that. And we want you to know that we have your backs. And we want you to know that no matter what's going on in your life, that God loves you. And we want to help you any way we can to get to a place where God can use you. And so this morning, some of you, you need to come. And you need to grab the hand of, of me or Tony or Brian or Russin or Matt or some of these other pastors, your small group leader. And you need to confess to them what's going on in your life. And you need to ask for help. Some of you this afternoon, you need to sit down across the table from your husband or your wife and you need to have a really hard conversation and you need to confess something and you need to seek help as a couple for what's secretly taking place in your marriage. I, I know this is hard. I'm not going to stand up here and say that this is easy. And some of your lives, if you confess what's going on in your life secretly, some of your lives are going to get a lot harder than they are right now. But listen to me, church. If you want your life to count if you want your life to matter, if you want Jesus to be honored in and through your life, you have to come clean. You have to come clean. There's no way to get around it. You have to come clean if you want your life to count for eternal things and the glory of Jesus in this world. You have to come clean. A couple of years ago, I met a couple at our East Paulding campus named David and Heather. And I had preached um, Labor Day weekend on uh, the topic of spiritual brokenness, pick, God picking up the pieces. And I remember David and Heather, they came to me right after that service, just broken, both crying, uh, husband and wife standing feet apart from each other, telling me about a secret addiction that David had and that they were ready to throw in the towel. They couldn't do it anymore. They had a little boy who was in the middle of all this. And I just remember, I looked at him, I said, listen, this is not too big for God. And I want to pray for you. And we're going to get you help. 
And so I prayed for him right there at the front of our auditorium at our East Paulding campus. And I grabbed our life care pastor and I said, this is David, this is Heather, we need to get them help right now. I want you to look at their story this morning and see what God does when you and I will confess and come clean and how he can turn a life and even a marriage around when you and I make a commitment to be honest and open and to pursue him above everything else. Take a look at this video. Uh, my name is David Ryan. I am Heather Ryan, and uh, my husband and I have been through a tough journey. He's uh, struggled with internet porn for 12 plus years. My wife and I, uh, after our 17th anniversary, uh, which was in 2009, we'd had lots of issues just like every married couple. But in 2000, that summer, uh, we were really having a tough time. I knew we were pretty close to probably divorcing. Things weren't right, things didn't feel right. I didn't think I had done anything wrong. And I thought, I can't get any lower. I just can't get any lower. There's so many distractions today and things that can take you off course that are put out there by Satan. And one of those being uh, internet porn addiction and how so many men are involved, and especially there's a, over a 60% plus uh, uh, percentage of every congregation male-wise that are dabbling in some form of this. And I sat there in my chair and just said, I want to make my, my kids proud and I want to reconnect because my heart's with you, God, but uh, I need help. You don't realize that there is a large percentage of people that are going through the same thing um, and aren't ready to face it. Um, and we didn't necessarily face it the first several times it hit us. It had to be the right time for both of us to face it, otherwise I don't think we would have made it through. I remember just totally, now knowing that, I was just totally broken and uh, I was empty. Hard part's been reconstructing my marriage and reconstructing. My wife's trust. It's been very difficult, but we've come a long ways. A long ways, and we're so blessed. With this whole ordeal, it's taught us that, especially what I was dealing with, uh, man wasn't equipped to, to address this on his own. He needed help, and that being God. And you know, they say, you know, God wants us broken, so we give up everything to Him. Well, uh, He has it. For every male, it's very, very important to have intimate male relationships with godly people so you can surround yourself as to, to help support your foundation. Without those people, uh, it's very difficult to get through life and your chances are you're going to screw up again. If you are involved in that, don't wait. Step forward, swallow your pride, lay it all upon God because he will heal, heal you. Um, kind of my mantra has always been since over the last year and a half is when things get tough, I always ask myself, do you truly think that God can't bring you that same happiness except in his form? And the answer here today is yes. For the past two years since that morning, uh, Heather and David come find me uh, Labor Day Sunday and uh, tell me about what God's doing in their life. Just this past Labor Day Sunday, a few weeks ago, they found me Sunday morning. 
uh, locked arm in arm, kid by their side, saying, look what God's done. Look what he's done. Some of you this morning, you need to take a step like David has, and you need to come clean. This is a guy who now at our East Paulding campus leads a group for men every single week who are battling the same addiction that he's battled for, for many years of his life. God's using him. God restored. God forgave. God has made new. God is using for his glory. Some of you, you need to come clean this morning. You need to confess. You need to ask for help. You need to take a step in the right direction. You need to surround yourself with godly people who can help hold you up and support you and encourage you in whatever it is you're facing. I want you to know again this morning, God loves you. He loves you. He doesn't care what's going on in your life. He's ready to forgive. All you got to do is confess. We love you as a church. Um, uh, we've asked the band to sing a chorus of a song, and we're going to have some pastors available for you kind of up on, you know, at the front of the room. If you need to come and pray with one of us, as, we, as the rest of us sing this song, you come and pray. You come and pray. Whatever's going on in your life this morning, we are here for you. We have your back. We love you. If you need to come and you need to enter into a relationship with Jesus for the first time, if you've never asked Jesus for forgiveness of your sins and eternal life, come talk to us this morning. We'd love to pray with you and to share with you what that's all about. So let me pray courage for us this morning if I can. And then I'm going to turn this over to the band and they're going to sing. Father God, we love you. God, and we thank you that you love us. God, even when we're at our worst, you love us. God, we thank you that your grace is deep and it is wide and it covers a multitude of sins, including ours. God, I just want to pray for the people sitting in this room right now who need to take a step, who need to confess to you, who need to confess to someone else, who need to ask for prayer, who need to seek help and counsel. God, would you give them courage this morning to take that step before they leave? God, help us this morning to truly believe that you are a God who loves and you're a God who's waiting to heal and redeem. God, we love you so much. Give us courage this morning, God. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, who we love so much. Amen.